Hi everyone, welcome to Infraction. I'm Nadia. And I'm Sally. And thank you for joining us for episode 36. So lots of the reporting for this episode has come from CBS News and the 48 Hours documentary that's titled Whatever Happened to Mary Day. Um, And all the links, as always, are linked in the description box below. So this episode starts in 1981 in Seaside, a city in California. 13-year-old Mary Day was living with her mum, her stepfather, her sister and her two half-siblings. Mary Day was born on the 19th of February 1968 in New York to her parents, Charlotte Presler and Charles Day. Her two sisters, Kathy and Sherry, were born within a few years of Mary. Unfortunately, Charlotte struggled to look after her three girls and so all three sisters spent their childhood in and out of foster care. Their parents' relationship grew apart and during one stint in foster care for the girls, their mother Charlotte divorced their father and she remarried a man named William Huell. Shortly after their nuptials, William and Charlotte started a family of their own and had two children, Billie Jean and William Jr. In 1976, Charlotte started the process of attempting to regain custody of her three daughters that had been taken into foster care. She was partly successful and Charlotte welcomed back into her care Mary and her sister Kathy. Sherry, their youngest sister, had actually been adopted into another family by this time and therefore the sisterhood of three had been split up. In 1978, two years after Mary and Kathy went back to live with their mother, stepfather and new baby step-siblings, the new family of six moved to Hawaii because William was assigned to an army base there. Several months after this move to Hawaii, Mary and Kathy's biological father and Charlotte's first husband, Charles Day, passed away in a car accident. In his will, he left a sum of money to Kathy and Mary as inheritance. It's unclear if Sherry, the third sister who had now been adopted into a new family, received any inheritance, but Kathy and Mary wanted to hide this inheritance from their mother. Therefore, they made up a code word when speaking about the money, and this code word was Mohawk. How old were they at this point, sorry? Um, about, so I think Mary was about 10 years old, um, and uh, Kathy would have been, I think Kathy was like two or, two or three years younger. Would they not have needed like an adult, though, to be like the executor of a will like it surprises me that their mum just didn't automatically know about it yeah I found it quite strange as well but I wondered if um maybe it was because um if it was their like auntie or uncle or something like that had been like the executor of it because obviously Uh, um, at that point they'd obviously split up and she'd remarried someone else yeah got you so in 1980 when Mary was 12 years old she unfortunately ended up back in care She was placed under protective custody when the police were called to their family home after reports that William Huell, Mary's stepfather, had been physically abusive towards her. Within several months of this, with Mary still in protective custody, the rest of their family moved from Hawaii to Seaside, a city in California, because William was reassigned to a different army base. Several months after this move, presumably after investigations revealed no evidence against her stepfather, Mary was released from protective custody and allowed to live back with her mum, sister, step-siblings and stepfather in California. Just several months later, the family went out for dinner one evening and left Mary at home all by herself. When the family got home from their evening out, they found their family dog sick in the garden. William was furious and went to find Mary in the house, believing that she had poisoned the dog. What? Seems a bit of a jump. Mm. So Kathy said that their stepfather had hit Mary because he was so angry at her and that she had bled from her face and her mouth. What happened next is unclear, but what we do know is that after that night, 13-year-old Mary Day vanished without a trace. 
So just going to actually quickly insert a slight caveat here. There are reports and articles that state that Mary went missing in 1980 when she was 12 and others say that it was 1981 when she was 13. I do believe that it was 1981 um, when Mary was 13, just based off of the timeline with Mary going into protective custody and based off of when the Huell family moved to Seaside, California. So uh, yeah, I do think it's 1981 and that's the timeline that we're going to stick to in this episode. But uh, yeah, be warned because I might be wrong. So just flag in that one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not that it probably makes any difference, but it's just in case people go and Google this afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> So, several days after Mary's disappearance, Kathy asked her mum where Mary was and when she would be coming home, and Charlotte told her daughter that Mary had run away and that she was never to ask about her again. That sounds normal. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Kathy was banned from speaking about her sister, and her mum and stepfather never broached the subject of missing Mary with her ever again. She was all but forgotten until the family relocated once again, this time to New York. If you can remember, New York was where Mary, Kathy and their sister Sherry had been born and raised before they were put into care. Therefore, when the family relocated to New York, Sherry, who had been adopted into a new family, took the opportunity to go and visit her biological mum and sisters. When she arrived at the house, Sherry asked her mum where Mary was. Sherry was told that Mary had run away and Kathy pulled her little sister into another room and told her to shush. Kathy told Sherry that they weren't allowed to talk about Mary. This conversation played on Sherry's poor 10-year-old mind for years, and eventually, when she was in her 20s, she finally reported her sister's disappearance to the police. Oh my god. So this was in 1994, 12 years after the last time Mary was ever seen, um, and this was the first time Mary Day had ever been reported missing. This just strikes me as bizarre, though, because she was a child that was already like under the radar of the care system they must have had friends they must have had neighbors and even if she had run away she was still very young like it just strikes me as really odd that no one had reported it in all of that time and said okay even if the family's right she has run away it's still a missing person's case she's still a vulnerable child like yeah I find that really strange I know I find it really really sad and I just think I can't find anywhere why um you know, the school didn't report it or something like that. And like you said, yeah, she was she was in the care system. So it's just awful that they didn't have, you know, kind of like any flags on her. They weren't looking for her. You know, they, they didn't go do checkups, anything like that. But it, it really kind of reminds me of, do you, do you remember our episode eight on um, Edward Dillon and Austin Bright? And it's very similar to that. Like the, mm. the situation, you know, was the same. They'd obviously been adopted into a family um, and they went missing and no one did anything about it. Um, so yeah, it's very, very similar to that. But yeah, for 12 years, she'd been missing and no one had raised it with anyone. And after this report um, that Sherry made in 1994, the police did question Charlotte. Um, and she basically just said that she couldn't remember if she'd filed a police report or not. And um, she says that she possibly vaguely remembered that her husband, William, had mentioned a report to the police, but she couldn't remember if they'd actually told the police that their 13-year-old daughter had gone missing. I hope that set off some alarm bells straight away because what parent can't remember the exact details of their child going missing? Like, parents campaign for 30, 40 years to find their missing kids. If I was mm -hmm. a policeman, I would straight away, bearing in mind that they're probably the number one suspects just by virtue of being her parents, mm -hmm. surely at that point they would be like, okay, well, actually, we find it quite strange that you can't remember anything about your daughter's disappearance. Uh, unfortunately not. They did nothing um, until 2002, so eight years after this report. Wow. 
what happened in 2002? Uh, well, thank you for asking, Sally. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so in 2002, Mary's case was picked up by the National Centre for Missing and Exploited Children. And basically, they produced an age progression image of what uh, uh, Mary might look like now. So bearing in mind, this is, yeah, 20 years after her disappearance. Um, she would have been about 34 at this point, And yeah, she went missing, obviously, when she was 13. Because the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children picked this up, uh, the police in Seaside, California then got involved. Um, and a, a man named Joe Batana was the lead detective on Mary's disappearance. In 2003, he took Kathy back to the family home in California, um, as that was the last known place that Mary had been seen. At the house, investigators looked around and then they went into the back garden. Kathy had previously told investigators that there was an area of the garden that she and her half-siblings had always been told they weren't allowed to play in. So the investigators brought in four cadaver dogs and all four of them alerted the police to that area of the garden that Kathy had been told to stay away from. Oh, God. The police started digging in that area, but they didn't find little Mary's body as they had expected to. The only thing they did find was a tiny girl's shoe buried under the ground. What? Oh. Mm. How creepy. Yes, very creepy. And we can kind of go on later to discuss why that might have been. Um, but they found nothing at the house in Seaside. Uh, they found no evidence that Mary Mary was there or that maybe her remains were there or anything like that. So the next thing the investigators did was go to Kansas, where they found Charlotte and William Hewell as they were living there now, and they asked them to come in for questioning about Mary's disappearance. Throughout Charlotte's entire interview, she maintained that Mary had run away. The police also discovered something that might have been the reason Charlotte had never reported Mary missing. So Mary had been receiving social security checks because her birth father had died in a car accident. These checks were sent regularly, some reports say monthly, and others say annually. But either way, these checks were sent for Mary, and Charlotte had been cashing them in. Oh, for God's sake, again. I know, yeah, I know, it's it's very similar, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, so this wasn't everything. Throughout the whole interview, the detective said that he felt like Charlotte had something to tell him. She kept using phrases that showed remorse and regret. She said things such as, you know, sometimes you do things in your past and it comes back to bite you. When asked if she had made any steps to find Mary, Charlotte simply just said, we should have. What? Why? Oh, she, this just seems bizarre. Like, surely if you know you've done something, at minimum, she ought to be pretending they took some steps. I know, I know. And to go kind of directly back on what she'd already said about that when, you know, when she said, oh, like, I think maybe we reported her. I can't quite remember if there was a police report. And now she's saying, mm, I don't really think we did anything, but we should have. Yeah, like, I know it sounds silly, but it's almost like either tell the truth or put some actual work into lying. Yeah, no, no, I agree. I agree. Um, so Charlotte's interview went nowhere. So William Hule was then brought in for an interview with the detectives. At first, he told the detectives that he had discovered that Mary had gone missing when he went to look for her in her room and that she hadn't been there. The police could see that he was lying and eventually William changed this story and relayed the story that we heard at the beginning the story about Mary supposedly poisoning William's dog. In his interview, he said that he was so angry at Mary that when she had tried to run away from him out of the door, he had grabbed her and he said that Mary had started hitting him and pushing him. He said that he was so angry at her that he pushed her back. During this point in his story, the detective said that William was mimicking what he had done to Mary and he made a choking gesture. He also made a chopping gesture with his hand. 
Detective Batana described it as a martial arts move, and he asked William where he had hit Mary with that motion, and William responded that he had been on the top of her chest. When asked, is it possible you hit her like that in her throat, William responded that his hand might have slipped and he might have hit her in her throat. Well, so he's just half admitting now that he might have accidentally killed her. Mm Mm-hmm. So, this obviously was very concerning to the police officers, and they probed further, and they asked William, on an anger scale of 1 to 10, what were your anger levels? And he said they were at a 15. The detective said to him, I think you were so angry that you killed her. To which William responded, no, I didn't kill her, but the next day my wife Charlotte told me that that night she saw Satan in my eyes, and she said I was possessed by a demon. What? This is the most bizarre explanation Mm. I've ever heard. So, Detective Batana kind of played up to this and was like, all right, William, I believe that you didn't murder Mary, but could it possibly be that that demon inside of you murdered her? To which William responded, yes, the demon could have killed her. Right. So where's her body then? Well, despite this, what I would say an almost confession, the police let William go. What? Why? That can't be. Because I agree, that is a confession. Granted, it's sort of, yeah, he's using the third person almost. Mm -hmm. But to me, that sounds pretty close to a confession. And like, I don't know, a week's time, you might actually get the real thing. I just, uh, it infuriates me. And I get that they maybe don't have enough evidence to slap a murder charge on him right now. But they definitely have... I don't know, surely they have enough evidence to charge him with something less serious and make it stick, you know, quite probably child neglect or, I don't know, bloody hell, slap him in Charlotte with a fraud charge. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, fraud charge. Mm. Even just something which then gives you some more time, doesn't it, to, like, actually investigate. Who knows, when he's serving a bit of time for, if he did serve time for, like, either of those crimes, who knows, maybe, like, the time alone in prison would have got you an actual confession. I know. That's what's so infuriating. They did it in uh, with Edward Bryant and Matey Bryant, what's her name? Linda Bryant, didn't they? They slapped them with a fraud charge and obviously they didn't then go after them and get any kind of other charge. But in this situation, they've got proof that they've been fraudulently claiming Mary Day's checks and she's not been around since she was 13. So yeah, it's very, very infuriating. Or would you not use that to then go back in with Mary's mum and say, okay, he, you know, he's almost confessed. Do you want to tell us the rest of the story? Yeah, Because she obviously was like an eyewitness as well. Mm. She's the one who said, I saw the devil like in your eyes. So obviously she did know what's happened. Mm-hmm. Just see, yeah, it seems like you, they were so close. It's like, it feels like an odd time for them to give up. I completely agree with you. I think they seem to really have missed out here do you know what i mean they they had ample opportunity to take that almost confession and turn it into something and dig deeper but yeah they didn't so nothing happened in this case for over a year and a half uh, the police launched a homicide investigation but their searches and interviews uncovered nothing then after a few more months in november 2003 the lead investigator got a very strange phone call from a police officer almost 700 miles away in arizona This officer said that he had just pulled over a young female driver in Phoenix, Arizona. She had been arrested for having stolen number plates on her truck, and when the police had run her ID on their system, it had flagged her as a missing person. This lady's name was Mary Day. What? (laughs) Okay, I think this is going to be a fake Mary Day. 
Well, that is what we're going to discuss now. <laughs> so, the lead detective, Detective Batena, travelled to Phoenix to meet this woman and see if it was Mary. The Phoenix police informed Batena that the ID with Mary Day's name on it had only been issued to her three weeks before she had been pulled over by the police. Batena spoke to Mary. He said that she had lots of memories of her childhood that seemed to fit with stories he had heard from Kathy. This woman said that she had run away from her parents, William and Charlotte Huell, when she had been a kid. However, this woman calling herself Mary Day couldn't remember what had happened on the night she had run away. She didn't appear to have much memory about any sick or poisoned dog. She couldn't remember getting in a fight with William and she couldn't remember where she had gone the night she ran away. Possible that that whole event was made up though, maybe? Mm, Yeah, that's very true. I hadn't actually thought of that. That is very true. That could have been. But basically the police, kind of like you, Sal, felt that this woman was an imposter um, and they didn't believe that she was the real Mary Day at all. They felt that maybe she had used the name and then when she had realised the story and the situation she was in, she'd maybe started playing up to it to get attention. The investigators started referring to this woman as Phoenix Mary, uh, obviously because she was found in Phoenix, um, and because they were just so convinced that she wasn't Mary Day, and so they didn't want to call her that. So for clarity, I will call her Phoenix Mary throughout the rest of this episode, just so it's clear who we're talking about. Am I missing a trick here? Surely the obvious solution is just to do a quick DNA test. (laughs) Sally, (laughs) that's my next bit. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. I just, when you said for the rest of the episode, I was like, God, it can't take out that long to find out if Phoenix Mary's real Mary, surely. Unfortunately, it's more complicated than that. So. Okay. <laughs> fasten your seatbelt. <laughs> so, Detective Batena said in an interview with Maureen Mahaf of the 48 Hours episode that Phoenix Mary had not received the information well, that the police didn't believe that she was the real Mary Day. Phoenix Mary asked Detective Batena, If you were to find my body, how are you going to be able to prove who the hell I was? To which the detective responded, DNA. Phoenix Mary said, oh, so since I'm still alive, you all can't prove who I am. And the detective said, there's no record of you ever being anywhere. It's like you haven't existed up until now. However, following this conversation, Detective Batena did order a DNA test and he was certain that it would prove that this woman was not Mary Day. Shockingly, the test results showed that there was a familial match between this woman and Charlotte Huell. Phoenix Mary was Charlotte's daughter. Oh, case closed. Mm, Well, it was enough for the police to close their investigation. But this would not be an episode if it just ended there, would it? (laughs) (laughs) So Sherry invited Mary to come and live with her in her home with her family in North Carolina. Everything seemed to be going really well, but then Sherry started to become suspicious of Mary. Some of the comments she made didn't sound like something her sister would say, and she went back to talk to the investigators about the DNA result and whether they truly believed this woman was Mary. She told investigators that she couldn't understand why Mary had a southern accent, she hadn't grown up in the south, and she had been 13 when she'd run away. The investigators said that they also picked this up and they too had found it strange. Sherry also said that Mary kept receiving letters and magazines addressed to a moniker Devereaux. Detective Batena had said, however, that Phoenix Mary had said that she had never gone by the name Mary. She had always used the name Monica Devereaux, a name that she had chosen from a fictional book that she had read, and therefore her receiving posts with this name on it wasn't too suspicious. If you can remember, she had seemingly only started using the name Mary Day just three weeks before she was found by the police in Arizona. 
This conversation with the detective did little to ease Sherry's concerns, and so she confided in her sister Kathy. Kathy said that she too felt something was strange about Phoenix Mary. She said that Phoenix Mary had no memory of the inheritance their birth father had left them, and when Kathy asked her if she remembered their secret code word for when they'd speak about the inheritance, the code word, if you can remember, was Mohawk, Phoenix Mary said that she couldn't remember that either. The issue was, obviously, that the DNA from Phoenix Mary did match Charlotte. Kathy and Sherry wondered, was it possible that Charlotte had another daughter and this girl was her? More questions were raised in 2008 when cadaver dogs were searching in Fort Ord and alerted that there may have been a dead body where they were searching. This search was unrelated to this case, but the dogs alerted in Fort Ord right outside the house that William, Charlotte and their children had lived in for a brief period of time. The police chief said that he felt certain that Charlotte and William had been involved in some kind of homicide and he even went as far as to say that he thought the woman posing as Mary was an imposter and that William had murdered the real Mary Day when she had just been a child. As a result of this finding, in 2008 the police reopened their investigation into William and Charlotte. However, it's important to note that nothing was ever discovered at that house in Fort Ord. Nobody was ever found where their cadaver dogs had alerted, and, unlike in the first instance in their house in Seaside, no other belongings of Mary's were found under the ground either. Nine years later, in 2017, Phoenix Mary's health started to fail and she was not given very long to live. The new acting chief of police once again took a look into the case, and she travelled to where Phoenix Mary was living in Missouri to speak to her. The biggest question really was how did Mary run away at 13 and survive? Why had nobody reported her missing? And if someone had taken her in, why had they not reported it to the police either? The new chief of police spoke to Mary on her deathbed and she confessed that when she had first run away, she had lived with a woman named BJ Ward in Salinas, a city in California. From there, she had gone on to live with someone named Maury Kimmel. Some reports say that this woman was called Maury Ward and some say that she was called Maury Kimmel. It's unclear, but either way, the police tracked down this Maury lady and she confirmed Phoenix Mary's story. She said that she hadn't known Mary by that name, she had known her by the name Monica Devereaux, that same name we heard earlier that Mary had supposedly gone by. Maury said that Mary had lived with her for a year when Mary had been 15 years old, but then after a year, Mary had run away again. This had really devastated Maury as she had taken to Mary a lot and had seen her as a daughter. One of Maury's relatives dug up an old photo album and in it there was a picture of Maury with Mary. This photo was taken a year after Mary had disappeared. Facial recognition experts said that there was a 99% probability that the photo was Mary Day. The chief of police who tracked down this information also found out information from Phoenix Mary about why she had reinstated her ID all of a sudden three weeks before she had been found. This was because she had needed state aid to pay for her to have her gallbladder removed because she couldn't afford the surgery herself, and in order to get state funding she needed her ID. She said that she had used a non-profit organisation who had helped her track down her birth certificate so that she could then get this ID. Because of this information, the story from Maury Kimmel and the photo that, in inverted commas, proved that Mary had not been killed on the night the police thought she had been murdered, the missing persons case and the homicide investigation relating to Mary Day were once again closed. Around this time, so 2017, 48 Hours who were filming their episode on this case took Sherry to Missouri to see Phoenix Mary. At this time, Phoenix Mary was very poorly and was nearing the end of her life. 
the episode didn't show the conversation Sherry and Mary had, but when Sherry came out of Mary's house, she said that she was now convinced that this woman was Mary and was her sister. Nine days after the chief of police had sat down and spoken to Mary, she passed away. A handful of the original investigators from this case, who have long since retired, said that they still believe that Mary was an imposter, despite the evidence that was produced by Maury Kimball's family. They said that they couldn't shake the hunch that they'd had. So, that is kind of what I have in terms of facts. And sorry, because I know it's quite light, but there is kind of very little information out there. Um, and most of the articles out there have come from the 48 hours episode anyway. So it's been quite difficult, but there are a lot of theories out there. And obviously there are a lot of question marks in this case that I thought maybe, Sal, we could try and unpack now if you wanted to. Uh, yeah, I'm happy to hear some of the theories and your theory, but my mind's pretty made up. That you think it's her? Yeah, 100%. I think DNA is incredibly unlikely to be that far out. I think it's even more bizarre that they'd have had another daughter that had uh they'd killed mary and then had another daughter just hanging around who decided to be an imposter i think you can't think of it like she just got the id and then she was found because it gets into your head like it's a bit of a suspicious timeline mm. but it isn't because she never would have been found if she hadn't got the id so mm. it's the three weeks thing isn't really of any note in fact it's quite logical that she just got it she hadn't crossed her mind that if it got scanned she'd be found uh, and that is exactly what happened. Uh, the photo matches, I think, like, in 20 years, it's really likely that she wouldn't remember loads of stuff and, like, her accent would have changed. Like, that is a really long time. And actually, 13 is pretty young. I think, like, you people move, you know, from here to, say, Australia at quite an old age and in 10 years have a bit of an accent. So, yeah, for me, I think it's pretty black and white. I think, like, amazing that she genuinely did manage to leave home at... 13 and survived for all that time and bizarre that um her stepdad kind of admitted to almost killing her mm. uh, it just seems really strange that in that situation why didn't they just raise a missing persons case if she genuinely had run away it does seem very odd that that isn't how they responded but i suppose the reality is maybe she was a difficult kid they didn't get on with her they didn't really like her i suppose they probably didn't care which i think sounds odd but, I mean, stranger things have happened. <laughs> mm. No, I agree. I think that's where that's where my head keeps getting stuck. And it is just that the way the parents reacted and um, William Hewell's kind of like weird confession, but also like the use of cadaver dogs. So I understand that. So in the, I think it was in the 48 Hours episode or it was like another interview I saw, the detective who had been leading the case at the time um, in the first instance, he basically was like, dogs don't lie. The dogs don't lie. Like they are trained. They can't lie. And I I really, really feel like something was buried in their back garden. I don't know if it was Mary, but I find it so odd that where the cadaver dogs alerted, there was a little girl's shoe under there. It makes me feel like they have moved the body. That's That's what that makes me feel like. Yeah, I don't. I do agree that that part of it's quite weird. I would say I don't think dogs actually are that accurate. Um, um, I think probably it is strange that all of them thought they smelled something they didn't. Um, and yeah, the shoe as well is pretty weird. But I still find it more weird that they'd have killed Mary and then this person who's like a familial match and got photos, got a story that completely stacks up. Like I find that would be way more unlikely. Um, yeah the DNA than, thing is the biggest them, thing yeah yeah exactly like I just kind of think 
there'd be have to be coincidences in both theories and actually one of the theories is backed up by some science as well whereas I think like the cadaver dogs I think they do make mistakes and yeah I don't know specifically with like what the rates are and things and it is weird that like on two separate occasions they thought they found something mm. but I don't know do you not just think the other story is so far-fetched for in like for Phoenix Mary to not be Mary it's just so ridiculously complex yeah because I can only see it as like what would be the reasons for you faking it maybe William was paying you off or maybe it's because you knew you might get that inheritance but then obviously she Phoenix Mary didn't know or she forgot whatever that she had this inheritance that's strange that she, I think it was like $160,000. It was a substantial amount of money, the inheritance. I find it strange that if she's out there kind of like, you know, at the beginning, she was obviously like living on the street. She was bouncing from house to house. Um, When she was found, she wasn't really living anywhere, which is why she then went and lived with Sherry. I find it hard to believe that you're that hard up for money and you forget that you have £160,000 in inheritance. But I think everything comes with ties, though, doesn't it? Like, if you think this, to some degree, is an abused and neglected child, let's face it, she's been in and out of care, she hasn't had a particularly warm childhood, choosing to run away and actually discovering that she can live on her own and she doesn't need to answer to all of these grown-ups who keep letting her down, I, I don't know, I kind of think maybe she felt like going back for money, even though it was, like, her biological father, you know, it was still family, it was still ties, and her biological, whoever it was, it was like the executor of the will and stuff. You know, they hadn't helped her out when she'd been in out of care. Mm -hmm. At no point does it sound like she went to live with her dad and his family, etc. So actually, we don't know enough, I don't think, about that side of the family. Maybe she just felt like, okay, it might be 160,000, but it's not enough for her to live on her entire life. She's finally on her own two feet. She doesn't have to speak to those people anymore who, yeah, were so shitty to her as a child. But yeah, I don't know, maybe she just felt like I wasn't worth it going back. And then I suppose if then fast forward a few years later when she does, Phoenix Mary does meet all her sisters, at this point they all already think she's an imposter. Maybe mm-hmm. she felt like as she started talking about the inheritance that would have, yeah, fed their theory. Oh, that's, uh, that's yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, and that she'd only come back or whatever to get that money. Yeah. And I to- Actually, I totally agree with that. Um, a lot of people kind of, um, on like Reddit and stuff like throw around you know questions about why her memory was so bad and why she couldn't remember what happened on that night she couldn't remember a fight and obviously Kathy had backed that up and said that her dad had obviously hit Mary so hard that she'd bled but I just I'm very much of the opinion that obviously she came from such a traumatic background she was in and out yeah, of loads care. of people suppress stuff don't they it's exactly that I think it's like you know your brain just saves you from things like that and you know there were other reports that I don't know how true they are but um they said that um the new um acting chief police she said that uh, Mary had you know maybe been um had like substance abuse issues so that's probably another reason why maybe um things from her past and stuff like that were blocked out so I think it's not hard to understand at all why she's forgotten especially that night if that was such a bad night that was the night that basically her entire life changed and she you know if she did run away you know she she started this entire new chapter of her life it's not hard to imagine that the trauma of all of that and her childhood could be suppressed yeah and also you have to think so it's possible that she genuinely doesn't remember and yeah like her brain has just suppressed it but also it's possible that she's lying and she doesn't want to remember it she doesn't want to talk about the night where her stepdad tried to kill her and she ran away and it's, you know, for some people, she might really just 
subconsciously feel like that's a bit of her life that she's put behind her. It doesn't really matter now why she's left, etc. I mean, you know, it's fully understandable that aside from not wanting to be accused of fraud, she might not really be desperate to prove she is part of this family. It's not like that she's got lots to go back for. So even though like in our heads, we kind of think, oh, the one way to prove who you are would be to tell everyone what happened on that night. Maybe she just doesn't want to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it could just be that. Maybe she's just protecting herself. Maybe it's just, yeah, it's in the past and she wants to keep it there. I can understand that. Yeah, definitely. I think it's just really hard to know I, like cases like this I think probably are so rare I mean how many missing persons cases do we do where they are really found years later and particularly under like this kind of circumstance um yeah I don't know I think it's probably quite hard to imagine what would have happened to her brain in that time like she was still young she's still developing still a teenager like very young teenager she's kind of one of the most crucial points in her development so who knows what that real combination of kind of trauma mm. running away fending for yourself yeah who knows what that impact that like would and wouldn't have on things like memory mm. yeah I, I definitely agree I think I am I am more of the opinion like you are that that it is her I just find um I can kind of I can speak away Mary's you know not actions, but you know what I mean? The fact that she's forgotten things or the way, or like her accent, that kind of mm, thing. Yeah. I just can't, I just don't understand how to explain Charlotte and William Hewell's reaction. I think that's very odd. Can you imagine saying that to a police, like to a policeman? Like if, if she had, if he had hit her in her neck and he had killed her or he had thought that he had killed her, then what, you know, what would have happened to her body on that kind of thing do you know what I mean I just find it so hard to believe I'm explaining myself so badly what I'm trying to say is no I know what you mean I find it hard to believe that he would be in in an interview and say do you know what yeah I hit her so hard I might have hit her in her throat the demon inside of me might have killed her and that he would be referencing that he had done these things these awful actions to her and then she'd run away and then maybe she died after that do you know what I mean it sounds more like he's saying that he did something really bad to her and then obviously he he disposed of her body. Yeah, well, I think it's possible, and it's like a few things, it's possible maybe he did really believe that she was dead and that, who knows, like if he can't really remember it and he was in a fit of rage, then maybe his memory or how he remembers that night was he hit her really hard, she ran away, and who knows, maybe he thinks that she probably did end up dying somewhere and I don't know, but it's possible, I guess he's like carrying some guilt around and sort of felt like either way he felt whether he he had killed her you know like whether it was because he hit her or because actually he just let her 13 year old go and fend for herself in the world and never tried to find her he might have felt that whatever the method was he had kind of killed her and i don't know felt some relief at sort of half admitting to it through another person i think other times sometimes you can convince yourself i do find the whole parents thing very strange because they never looked for her which you think they would have if they knew she had run away but equally I don't know maybe all those years it's a bloody long time isn't it maybe he did sort of almost start to believe that he had killed her and do you know when you question like did they run away like was it mm. real um yeah or they just had such disdain for her that he kind of liked the idea that someone might have thought he did it if you know it could be he's just really a remorseless man I think he wouldn't be the first psychopath in the world would he um mm. maybe actually he took some pride in the police thinking that he was you know this big monster who could kill a child 
Yeah, that's true, actually. Yeah, and he'd obviously, he'd been incredibly abusive towards her in the past, so much so that she had to be removed from his care. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe it did all get mixed up in his head. Um, we don't know kind of what he's like, but, you know, saying, yeah, for example... Yeah, he might not be a well man at all. Exactly, and that's what I, that's, yeah, that's maybe why I could believe it. I kind of get what you were saying about um, maybe he kind of, like, said it to, because because he was trying to like ease his like guilt and all that. I just think mm. if if that was the reason, I think you would explain yourself a lot better, especially when an officer is saying to you like, I think you were so angry that you killed her that night. And then he's like, mm, don't know, maybe the demon inside me did. I think yeah, if, if you meant, if you meant, oh, maybe she ran away and died or maybe I did hit her so hard and then, you know, she died later that night somewhere else. I think you would explain yourself a lot better, but kind of... Uh, highlight the fact that she had run away and that you hadn't done something with her afterwards but yeah i guess we could go around in circles on this all day i think it's just it's bizarre isn't it yeah i think fundamentally though the take home has got to be that i think the dna and the photo have got to be the hardest things to fake Fake. or just think to get around them it just requires such extreme levels of bizarreness and i mean weird Mm. things do happen in the world all the time uh, but for me, I just, yeah, I find that too much of a stretch for for those things. If if there'd been no credible story about like what she'd done in all of that time, then, you know, maybe it's different. But actually, you've got someone who verified that they took in a child, which in itself is a brave thing for someone to admit, because actually she should have reported it. Mm. Like, it was, yeah, it wasn't, it was lovely that she did it, but it wasn't her place to do it. So yeah, you've got what sounds like a very kind stranger confessing and finding evidence of the fact that she'd known Mary when Mm. she was younger and looked after her and yeah I think for me that's pretty pretty done and dusted (laughs) yeah no I think I'm with you I think I'm with you so I win again (laughs) you don't win if I already felt that way (laughs) we'll never know (laughs) (laughs) I'll quickly delete all my notes from the google drive (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, guys, we'd be really interested to hear what you think about this. You can find us over on social medias at infraction.thepod. And if you want more bonus content, then you can find us on patreon.com slash infractionthepod. And we will see you next week for another true crime episode. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.